Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Michael Bryan Podcast. I'm your host, Michael A. Bryan, and joining me today is my dear grandmama, all the way in Napa Valley, Ms. Jackie Nett. Jackie, thank you so much for being here. Hello, thank you. Nice seeing you. Nice seeing you. Nice for inviting me. Well, I'm very, very happy to have you here, and I'm super excited to dive into the conversation that we're going to be having today. But for those of you who this is your first time joining us here on the Michael Bryan Podcast, this is a podcast where I bring you interviews from yoga teachers, healers, and mindfulness-based leaders from around the world. So if you want to continue to be a part of the momentum that we're building here on the Michael Bryan Podcast, give yourself a moment, go down below, like this amazing video, as well as subscribe to the Michael Bryan Podcast here on YouTube or wherever you are listening to us on whatever podcast streaming platform you listen to. And as always, share this podcast with your other like-minded mindfulness-based friends. Now, Jackie, once again, thank you so much for joining me here. I am super excited to finally be able to have another moment to connect with you. It's been literally too long. Long time, long time. <laughs> now, Jackie, you and I, we met at the Iyengar Yoga Convention, which was in Boca Raton, and I'm believing that was in 2016, was it? I I will go with that, since my <laughs> brain doesn't remember things like that. I remember the incident, by how yeah. we met, but I don't, and where, but that's it. Yeah, well, I, I believe that it was it was in that year, and I was just so happy to connect with you for several reasons, but I was also very happy that you received me so warmly. And it was it was just so nice because that was one of, not one of, that was my first Iyengar yoga convention. And coming in, it, it felt kind of interesting. And, and running into you, it was a, a wonderful thing. And I really felt really grounded after our connection. So I just wanted to tell you, thank you for that, because I know that that's not something that I've ever expressed to you. Uh -huh. Yes, I tell the story quite often. Um, in fact, it was I was talking to one of the teachers in San Francisco and asking about uh, you had started or you were getting ready to start. And they said, well, do you know him? And I said, oh, yes, that's my grandson. <laughs> Your grandson. <laughs> and how easily that happen when this lady came up and started talking to us you know i said it you went along and that's the way it ended up <laughs> all right now jackie i am so intrigued by your story and so i want to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners and viewers all about who you are how you came into Iyengar yoga and just what has kept you within this practice for all these years so how far do you want me to go back about who I am? <laughs> let, let's, let, let's take it from the top. <laughs> go back. Okay, who am I? Well, I was born in Mississippi. <laughs> so um, yeah, I was born in Mississippi in 1944 in segregated Mississippi. And I'm from um, an educated family. Uh, my grandparents were considered what they call landed uh, rich. We had property. Um, we had a 199-acre cotton plantation in Mississippi. Uh, my father was a doctor. 
My mother was a school teacher. My father was very politically connected, um, uh, uh, activist, uh, marched with Martin Luther King, um, had a lot of the struggles. He led a lot of the struggles. Um, and so I grew up under that. I left Mississippi in 1962 when I graduated from high school and I wanted to become an actress. So all of my life, I wanted to become an actress and I moved to California, to LA. And I started um, taking, uh, I went to LA City College for theater arts and I got my AA in theater arts. And um, after that, after I graduated from that, I needed a job. So <laughs> um, a friend of mine in the theater arts department told me about Playboy. And so um, he got me an appointment to um, interview for Playboy, which it took me three times because I was too skinny. <laughs> I was very, very thin. But I was hired and I was um, one of the, actually I was the third black bunny to be hired. And so I worked at Playboy for 11 and a half years and I became the um, longest standing uh, training bunny. So I trained the ladies to become bunnies. And during that time, of living the life that I lived <laughs> during the 60s and the early 70s and at Playboy and living in Hollywood and living on the Sunset Strip and, 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 all the ands you want to add to it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'll let the mind just flow. Please. <laughs> just flow. I also got a um, uh, my second degree. One of the things I always like when people hear about Playboy is I always like to tell them that one of the uh, pro uh, uh, perks of working at the club at that time is that uh, Playboy International encouraged the ladies to get a higher education because they said you can't be a bunny all of your life. And so they paid for it. And so I got my undergraduate degree in interior design and art while I was there because I was um, actually starting to look for a way to leave the, that environment. And it was a wonderful environment. And I, it was one of the best things that have happened. I've never had a job. Well, that's my first job that I ever had. Um, and, uh, but during that time, I put out to the universe that I needed to find a way to, to leave this environment. Um, I had been, I had been, um, I had my degree and I had been offered a job to work in Las Vegas. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh-uh. I will not put myself into Las Vegas. I just knew myself. Um, and I was living at that time in, um, in uh, Santa Monica. 
and the club was in Century City. And I would drive to work and there was this sign that said, Harriman's Yoga on the side of a building. And I kept looking, going, every time I would pass, going or coming to work, I would look for that sign. And um, I ended up in a car accident and I had enough money at that time, we didn't need to have car insurance, but I had enough money to pay for the person that I hit and get my car fixed, but I didn't have enough money to pay for my apartment because I was still in school. And a, uh, one of the bunnies called me to talk to me and I told her that my situation, and she said, oh, I have a mad apartment. You can, we can share my mad apartment. And what a mad apartment is, is that when she would get mad at her boyfriend, she would go to her apartment. <laughs> it was actually an empty apartment with a couch. <laughs> and so um, I moved into the apartment and it was right across the street from the yoga studio. So I ended up going to the yoga studio and I never stopped. It was not something, in fact, for the first couple of months, I would go and start crying. I would cry through the whole session. And she was a devotee of Andrew Devi. You know Andrew Devi? Yes. She was a devotee of Andrew Devi. And so she said, after I'd been there for a while, she said, Jackie, you should go and do teacher's training with Indra Devi. So I went and did teacher's training with Indra Devi in Mexico. In fact, Indra Devi, um, Indra Devi wanted me to travel with her. And I, um, I was too much and still in love with Playboy to go and, and give up and travel with Indra Devi. Plus, you know, I didn't know, I'm just actually, I'm just learning the, the power of Indra Devi. I mean, her, her my husband uh, was telling me today, he studies with, he, anyway. Um, so, but Indra Devi at that time, it was in 1977, Indra Devi was 77 years old. And I used to watch her run around in the sari, up and down these stairs, and she was very light. And I said, I want to be like her when I get to be her age. Well, my next birthday, I'm 77. <laughs> and so that just comes around because I really, I really, um, I have wonderful pictures of her. In fact, um, I didn't know her level of, of being in yoga, and I was talking to a friend, and she said, you studied with Andrew Devi? I said, yes. And you, you have certificate from uh, certification? I said, yes. <laughs> and she said, and it's not being exposed? And I'm going, no. So I had to dig for it, and I put all the pictures out. And there was a, a lady who used to study with me, that was involved in this movie my four or five years ago on yoga and women or something like that. I can't remember. 
But she walked up the stairs going to my studio and she looked at the picture and she says, is that Andrew Debbie? And I went, yeah. And so, and so I got certified with Andrew Debbie and my, the bunnies were actually my first students, some of the bunnies, and they really encouraged me. When I see them now, because we have reunions, they say, are you still teaching yoga? And I said, yes. And they really encouraged me. And then my next certification, my sister was involved with the um, Kripalu Yoga. When Kripalu Yoga, that was so that was in, that was in 70 in um, 1978. In 1978, my sister used to be, she would every month, she was an orthodontist, she would she would uh, go to Kripalu and get free work done. And she heard that I was now doing yoga. So she, she paid for me to go to study in Pennsylvania at that time with Amrit Desai and uh, Kripalu was still alive at that time and he was still at the Kripalu Yoga. So I studied for seven weeks there and I got certified with um, uh, Kripalu Yoga. I met my husband at there and we were both doing the teacher's training. And so we got married and we, there was a sister ashram in St. Helena. That's how we got here. And we got married at the ashram. And I had heard of, 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 of Mr. Iyengar. I had heard of Light on Yoga because my teacher, when I was studying with Andrew Debbie, brought his book out and I bought Light on Yoga. And then I had heard about Judith Lassiter, I think from the Yoga Journal, but I don't know, but I'd heard of Judith Lassiter. And when we were in, in the Napa Valley, in uh, San Francisco, I found out there was an Iyengar Institute in San Francisco, and Judith Lassiter was in San Francisco. So I remember going to the phone in San Francisco, and uh, in fact, we were out and with my husband and baby, and I said, I'm going to go and get certified for, with, for the Iyengar Yoga. And he said, well, why? You already have one. And I said, well, I'm going to go. And he said, you don't need to go. And I stormed off to the tape from the table, <laughs> and I called the institute and talked to someone about the teacher's training. And they said, well, you need to have studied two years before you can take the training. Being me, I convinced them that I was fine. I had been studying. I have this certification. I can do this. I can do this. And it was a small institute at that time, so I'm sure they just let me in. And so I went and took my first class, and I was in shock. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. And I came in, I had the look because I was thin and I was, you know, petite and I had the look. And Felicity Hall Green was the teacher. Wow. And I came in and I remember her saying, Uttanasana, and I'm looking around because I didn't know what Uttanasana was. I'm looking around and everyone was bending over and I said, oh. 
And I, I thought I was doing it. And she looked at me and said, is that it? And I went. <laughs> but I continued going. I continued. And then I, the, the second, I, oh, that was uh, my first class. Then I took my first class um, for um, uh, Arsenal One. And Jean Couch was the teacher. And Jean Couch, now she did the Yoga for Runners book. And she taught. And I said, okay, I made it through. And then Felicity was teaching. Felicity and Larry Hatman was teaching down in Palo Alto. And Palo Alto was three hours away from me. And I would go down every Sunday for the teacher's training and for do Felicity. And, and, and by the time I finished that class, I said, I need to study because <laughs> I, did, I did not know anything, my body. So I literally did what they told me we should do, <laughs> be prepared for the teacher's training. So I stopped and start studying with, um, in, in, with, actually I studied with Judith Lassiter on Friday and Saturday, uh, Sunday and Tuesday was with Manuso. And after a while, and there was one, I can't remember his name now in Berkeley, um, it'll pop up. Mm, is, that, is that Donald? Donald, Donald Moyer. I studied with Donald Moyer for a couple of years until I felt like, okay, I can get back into the, to the, not routine, but it's an intense teaching uh, that I did. And it took me, it was a two-year course. It took me five years because I was terrible. And I, <laughs> I was stiff because my body type was very stiff. You know, it looked good, but I had, I was very stiff. And so um, I, I, I wanted to do it so much that, and my, my type, my personality type is that I have to feel that I, I understand it. And my body didn't understand it. I liked Iyengar yoga. I don't put anybody's yoga down. I, you know, and I'm certified, and what I learned with Andrew Debbie sticks with me um, because she's in the lineage, which I found out she's in that lineage. But what I like about Iyengar yoga, it's very logical. It's, it's systematic and it's logical. I had, when I was teaching the other approaches, I had a lot of students. When I started teaching Iyengar yoga and I said, lift your kneecap with a higher voice instead of the very yoga voice, they lifted their kneecap, walked out the door, never came back. I mean, the next week I'm sitting there waiting, going, where is everybody? Where is everybody? They didn't come back. You know, it was partially me being a neophyte. 
and being, you know, being a neophyte and gun ho and I had a very strong teacher. I had all testosterone from Manuso, and I had all estrogen from, from Judith Lassiter. <laughs> I had, this was my teachers, testosterone and estrogen. <laughs> and so, and so, and then being a neophyte and being very, only thing I knew how to do was say the, say the instructions and, and it was also during the time we used to time and time people. You know, that didn't go over too well for my students. <laughs> so, in fact, I have people now who said, Jackie, you still teaching? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, oh, oh, I, you're so hard. I said, we all mature, <laughs> you know, we all mature. So um, that's it. And I, you know, um, I, when I started, I went to India the first time, was in an intensive in 19, 1986, and it was 30 of us. And I met Mr. Iyengar in his, the side that you don't want to meet him the first time. <laughs> I, you know, I came from a culture that no question is there's no bad questions <laughs> and then I'm the personality type that when I have a teacher I want them to show me I want to show them that I really there for them so we were at the first day of class first day of class Mr. Iyengar had us all in a circle and he had one student in the middle and he was going on about the headstand well I didn't understand his his rhythm. So I threw my hand up. I remember this so vividly. I threw my excuse me. I don't understand. Well, he flipped. <laughs> intellect, intellect, intellect. You were new here. You, you, you're new here. The only thing you want is information, intellect, intellect. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells everyone to go back to their place. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm frozen. <laughs> Gita comes, puts her hands on my shoulder and march me over to my place. He tells us to go up into a headstand. And I am my place, because it was 30 of us, and we each time had, had a place to go to, was right where he practiced. And I'm in my headstand, shaking in my boots, and tears are going like this into my hairline. And I'm saying to myself, I can handle this. I can handle this. <laughs> And he will walk past and look at me like, what is wrong with her? And I'm just shaking and crying. <laughs> and I come down and I compose myself. And in that type of situation, everybody wants to know who it is and everyone is glad that it's not them. So we, the next thing we had to do was Virbhadrasan too. <laughs> And every time I'd go to the right, 
I would look him in the face. And again, I was taught when a teacher talks to you, you should look them in the face. Years find out that you look a guru in the face and in the eye, you are, you're being aggressive. So, you know, I was not on his good list at that time. <laughs> Gita liked me, so she protected me. After the next time I saw him was in San Francisco, he was completely different to me. And from then on, he was very generous with me. Um, Gita was very generous with me. Um, sometimes his generosity was too much. It's like, go and be generous to someone else. Because when he would give you his attention, he would give you his attention. And, and like one teacher says that if you ask for his attention, you better be ready for the fire because he would just do a laser thing on you. And, you know, also, I would go every year, and it was very hard on my family, because I would go, and I would stay two months, three months, four months, however long I wanted to stay. And I had a young son, and it was very hard on him. It was very hard, but I couldn't help it. I had to go. I had to go. And um, it was very, it was, um, it was a, it was a good, it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. I'm, I got to know Gita in a very special way. You know, I don't know anyone's, anyone's other way that, that um, they knew Gita. Um, I wasn't one of the, very senior, senior teachers that, you know, I hear stories, or oh, we went and had lunch, and we, I, you know, I went into her. I, I, I was not on that level with the relationships, but my relationship was with her was more for me and the way we talked and the way she accepted me. Gita accepted me because um, I had this, lady who wrote me um, an email. Um, there was an article, one of my students, not a student, not one of my students, she was a, a, a teacher at the Institute in San Francisco, wanted to interview me after the Black Lives Matter, after this, she wanted to interview me. <clears throat> and so she did, and it was put on, um, from INES, they put it in their, their letter, news thing. And so I got this email from this lady who said that she enjoyed the, the um, interview, the write-up, but she wanted to tell me about when she first saw me, how she was shocked when she saw me. She said, because when she was preparing to go to India, she was taught how to dress. You had to be very modest and this type, how you, how you approach the guru and the distance. And so she said, I was in the study hall, and these are her words pretty much, and you sauntered in with, <laughs> with your 
velvet shorts <laughs> and your t-shirt with um, cleavage showing, which, <laughs> and she said, I was in total shock. She said, you walked in, I said, who is that? And she said, and you walked across the room and you walked directly to Mr. Iyengar and he totally accepted you. And I laughed and said, this is, <laughs> I said, I know I shock people. <laughs> I say, I know I shock people. I said, but it's all, you know, my intention is not to shock people. This is who I am. And she said um, that it was more how she was prepared that, and then to see, see me in, in, in my shorts which my story is, I don't show my legs and my arms at the same time. My naked legs and naked arms, I don't show it at the same time. But since I had to show my legs in Pune and show my arms, because I'm allergic to my own sweat, the reason I wear things I wear, I just want to have it the way I like it. And so if I'm going to wear Pune pants, I'm going to wear Pune pants the way I like it. So I get them made in velvet. <laughs> and that's and that's me and and there's no disrespect and Gita accepts me as that we've talked about my life before and my life now and um, she accepts me and the way I talked to her was like a sister um, since I wasn't, I have never been involved in any of the directorship, uh, any any committees on the in in INS. I have nothing to talk to her about that, other than we talked about we talked about yoga. She talked, you know, we talked about that, but it was it was more on a sister level and she gave me advice and you know there's I would tell her like I tell my friends you're you're pretty. You know, I would tell her that, and 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 we talked in a in in a sisterly way. And so, um, when she died, that was very hard for me. I I was telling my class today when we were doing some poses. When she died, I lost complete interest in yoga. I had to continue teaching, um, but I my heart was not there. And for two years, two years, I just, I didn't, and, and because of that, and because of my age, my body lost a lot of its ability to do things. And so right now, I am building my practice again. I've had people who ask me, how do I practice? What do I practice? How do I practice for my class? And my answer has been uh, that when I was teaching before, when I was starting to teach and teaching, I practiced to teach, to teach a class. Now I practice for my aging. And from what I gather from my aging and relearning, because I'm relearning to do things that, 
You know, I used to love to do Erbidine, Ekapata Erbidine Urasan, because I have these long legs and long arms, and it was very dramatic to see these legs in the air, <laughs> this leg in the air. Now I can't get my butt off the floor. You know? <laughs> so how do I practice for my aging? And, 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 and that's what it is now, is practicing for my aging. And from that, I translate that into my teaching because I've taught so long, it's, 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 you know, it's a reflex to teach. But now from my aging, from me looking at things that I didn't have to deal with before, now I'm dealing with it. Um, my teaching actually has become more refined not as traditional. In my practice, I haven't done what I would do, the standing poses. Okay, today I'm going to do all the standing poses, and then I'm going to do the headstand, and then I'm going to do the shoulder stand, and then I'm going to do the forward bend, and then my practice is not that for me. My teaching can be that, understand, but not my, my practice, because my practice, I, I am actually, in a lot of things, more flexible than I've ever been in my life. Because before, my body were, had very tight connective tissue. My connective tissue kept me looking young for a long time, kept me shapely for a long time, but also I couldn't touch my toes for a long time <laughs> either. And now, because the tissue of the body changes, you know, the tissue of the body changes, which means it's losing its, its, its ability to recoil, but it also allows me, from the way I approach my teaching and my practice, <clears throat> from when you're working with connective tissue, the movements are slower and is held longer and not hard. You don't go to the to that very dynamic end where when you're young you can just go there. When you are older, you can't just go there. You have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta learn to saunter. You saunter into it. You don't. You don't rush into it anymore. You saunter into it. You savor it more. You understand it more than when you're younger. I have people say, well, how do you teach a beginning level student from an advanced level student? How, what's the difference? I said, there's no difference for me. It's just an advanced level student. You're further along in the progress than a beginning level student. To be able to do a handstand, if a person can go up into a handstand independently or against the wall, you still have to put your hands on the floor. You still have to straighten your arms. Everybody still has to do the same thing. It's just one person can get up, the other one is still trying to get up, but there's no difference. 
I don't teach a beginner to do something and then when you get to level two, you're gonna do a different thing because the first thing they learn is gonna stay there. And then you have to go through trying to eliminate an action to get them to do the, the correct thing, the right direction. I think I've rattled on. <laughs> I have thoroughly enjoyed it all. And I mean, there's so much richness that you shared that I really want to go into. But starting from the last piece in terms of this concept of teaching the beginner student is essentially the same as teaching the advanced student. I think you're absolutely right in so far as the shape of Iyengar yoga is something that you learn within your neophyte stage of learning the practice. And it's the same for Iyengar yoga, but it's also the same as learning any skill or any art. You have to learn the shape of that practice first. And something that I heard Mr. Iyengar say once, or I may have read it in Ashtadala Yogamala, the, the eight series book that he wrote, is that in the beginning, all you're working on when you teach a raw beginner is the shape of the practice. You can't hit them with the heaviness of refinement that we know as we move deeper into the practice of Iyengar yoga. And what I find, especially in the West, is that as people approach teaching Iyengar yoga, we get so caught up within what we consider to be the intellectualization that Iyengar yoga has that Mr. Iyengar has essentially brought to the practice. We get so caught up within the intellectual trappings of Iyengar yoga, or even the language of Iyengar yoga that's so unique to the system that we forget to actually teach students where they're at. And we forget to actually lay the foundation of teaching the shape of the practice to our students. And so I, I really do appreciate this point that you made that no matter if you're practicing for 80 years, or if you're practicing for 40 years, or if you're a raw beginner just starting out, there's this concept that in handstand, the first thing is your hands have to go onto the floor. And that systematic intelligence, it runs through the entire shape of our practice, and you only build on that intelligence. And that happens, and you receive that basis as a beginner. Right. You have to. One of the things that, that I when I used to assess, um, would see people come in and they would just want to, words would just run out of their mouths. And when I used to teach in the teacher's training, they, they didn't like me to teach because I would say, you, not they didn't, the students would have a hard time because they had learned so much only thing they they had so much that it would just come out of their mouth it was just like i said what are you saying and it just comes out of the mouth and so learning yes you have to learn we have to learn the 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 jargon of Iyengar yoga you know every class you go into you should hear lift your kneecaps <laughs> you know you, there are certain things you have to hear at the same time, learning to not just give all of these words, just rattle on at the mouth, just rattle on, uh, just a constant flow of words is constant flow of words. It's not really teaching. There's a thing of leading and there's a thing of teaching. 
And a lot of times when there's just the runoff of mouth, and those they're you know they're new teachers. The runoff of mouth is just they're so excited that they have all this information to give. And so um, yeah, but there's also if you don't know the foundation, if you don't know the foundation when you start going up into the more advanced poses, you won't know the foundation. And that's where you get into a lot of difficulty. Difficulty. Yeah. I love the fact that you brought up this concept of the shape of assessment and how in assessment there is this tendency, and I've been guilty of it as well, of going into an assessment space and feeling as if I have to say all of the things because the, the the shape of the assessment environment, it's a really, I dare say, artificial space when compared to the actual space of your actual teaching in the class. And so I think that a lot of people move into assessment with this, this expectation of needing to perform or even needing to overperform in order to pass because the, the level and the standard of Iyengar yoga is so high. And then when you read the manual, it's also so high. So there's this, this other piece that I think gets superimposed on a student within an assessment process. But I do think that we, when we come out of that space of assessment and we go back to the actual reality of our in-class everyday you know, in the trenches teaching, we still need to know, like you said, this basis of the practice. What What is the foundation of this practice? And like you said, if you go into a class, if you go into any Iyengar yoga, yoga class anywhere around the world, there are certain expectations that should be met within that class because there is this template of what Iyengar yoga is that we received from Mr. Iyengar and through the senior teachers who have studied with him and, and through this entire lineage. So I, I definitely love that within Iyengar yoga, there's this seed of Iyengar that is transferable into every space we find ourselves in. Now, there's another thing that you brought up about how students are having this much information or rather the the student teachers are having this much information but something that i found is that even the students the actual students who aren't teachers when they learn in this sort of way it becomes that they get too crowded within their minds about what the basic shape of the practice is and one of the beauties of being able to teach in 2021 on Zoom is that I've I've taught in all of these other spaces that I probably would have had to have traveled to before. And what I think I've been seeing in certain instances is that the students in the class, in their mind, they have so much information that it takes them five minutes to get into, to, to finish all of the finagling and the adjusting necessary to be in their Virabhadrasana too, or to be in their Tadasana, because it's this, it's this processing and this processing and this processing, which we know is possible within our practice, but it's still also this, I, and, and I'm not actually sure what the word is, but there's this, this overdoing that sometimes happens that prevents the student from actually experiencing the practice that's being presented to them, but they're practicing from this place is very 
disconnected and that's very in their mind, but not necessarily in their bodies. Mm-hmm. And it, it um, with the students, you have to also, it goes back to the, it goes back to who they were, I will use the word indoctrinated with, how they were indoctrinated. If you if you go to come from a teacher that's just rattling off at the mouth and have all this tons of information and just just going off and off and off, um, it doesn't allow the students to um, <clears throat> go inward. It doesn't allow. It keeps them in the in the head, in the head, in the head, in the head, and. Um, if you're indoctrinated that way and say this is the way it should be, then there's going to be a resistance to anyone else coming in because their resistance is this is the way it should be. One of the things that I do when I, I, when I travel to, to Europe, um, and I do that in my class. My students, when I say my students, the students that regularly attend my classes, um, it's used to me doing some of my things. Like I, I would say, well, you know, why are you here? Or I would say, um, the last time I was in Europe, I said to one of my, to several, all of my classes, actually, I said, okay, so I know whenever you come to a workshop, you, there's something in your mind that you wish the teacher would teach. It's always something in your mind that you wish the teacher would teach. I said, okay, so everyone do that pose you wish your teacher would teach. And they, look at they saw the look around. And I said, okay, you do the pose. You know? and, and, and so it's, it's, it's to uh, allow, we have to also start allowing the students to, to do something. And this is like today, and I tend to do this, especially during the Zoom classes. At the end, I will say, okay, do a twist of your choice and do a forward bend of your choice and then do Shavasana. And the students that are usually, that practice with me regularly is used to that. So they do their pose. You can see the other students, they sort of look around, you know, like, like I said, well, you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. And it's, it's allowing a student also to have their, um, ability to choose. Although in my class, when you were saying it takes a while for someone to, to I have not experienced that at all. Um, but I don't have, I, I really don't have that many people who um, come to my class that I don't know. You know, today I, I had two people that came that I didn't, that I knew, one I knew and one I had seen, but um, they tend to, um, 
I tend to have not many people that, that are new that really come to my class. Maybe my reputation has preceded me. Well, I've only heard wonderful things about you from, from everyone who I've spoken to beforehand. And your reputation does precede you <laughs> that you're an amazing teacher. So it, it's, it's all good. <laughs> now, something else that I wanted to ask you about that you had also mentioned. And before we started recording, I asked you if there was anything that you didn't want to talk about at all because I didn't know your relationship to your own story. And I mean, I know the the Playboy period of your life because you had mentioned that to me, but I was very happy that that's something that you went into by yourself. And that's the thing that you are deeply okay with and also very joyful about. Uh, can you talk to us about what that has been like just in terms of being in the system with that story, how do you think that's been received? I know that you said that Mr. Iyengar received you and Gita received you as well, but has that ever shown up as a potential issue within people feeling as if they could connect with you? Yeah, I was, uh, I'll tell you the story about Gita first. So I was invited to um, go to China to teach in a um, Ashtanga studio, Iyengar Yoga. And at the same time, Playboy was, was talking about uh, working with the Chinese government to open up a Playboy club in China. And um, I, since I trained the bunnies for a long time, I was asked if I would go to China and teach. I mean, train them. Of course, it didn't go through. The government didn't allow it, so it didn't happen. But so I went to Gita and I wanted to talk to her first about teaching at another studio that wasn't Iyengar. And at the same time, I said, well, I will tell her that I'll be working at a Playboy club. So when I mentioned to her about teaching, she says, Jackie, she says, I trust wherever you teach, you will teach Iyengar yoga. So I have no problem. So that was that. And I said, Gita, have you ever heard of Playboy? She said, no. I said, do you know? Uh, no, no, I said, have you ever heard of Playboy Bunny? She said, no. I said, have you heard? Have you ever heard of a Playboy club? She said, no. And I said, well, and I told her the story and I had a picture of me in a bunny costume and I showed it to her. <laughs> she looked at it and she said, oh, you were a dancer. And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And so <laughs> from then on, everyone thought, you know, the, the, the family that I was a dancer. So. <laughs> So that was that. <laughs> but yes, um, when I first went to, I left, I left Playboy, got married, and, and within the next, within the year, I was at, at the, going to the Institute. Well, um, I have to admit, I looked at myself and I'm going, oh my God, I didn't even realize how I looked. You know, I really didn't. Um, pretty woman. I was pretty and shapely. And 
Playboy is was the high end of the sex industry. We sold sex, and I, and I was never um, a playmate. I didn't be in the, but I was in the, I was a um, a waitress, and that's what it is. But it's the illusion. It was a very well thought of, planned out illusion. Well, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see anything wrong, but people, when they found out, um, women were not nice to me. Um, to this day, when a, a man see how, that I hear that I was a bunny, I mean, I'm 77, so, you know, I, it's not no sex symbol here. <laughs> here, it still carries a mystique. There's still a mystique. But um, yeah, I was um, looked down upon. I was not treated well. Um, I don't know. I can say maybe it was me um, to a level because um, my persona and the way I reacted or related to, to men you know, I was married, and once I got married, there was no, I, I, my, when I left the club, I left my costume, I left my ears, I left everything, I got my tail, but I said, once I leave here, I'm leaving this life behind. But still, there was this air about me, um, you know, the lady was shocked when I walked across the floor, <laughs> you know, so there is this air. I went to Playboy when I was 23. I was very sheltered when I was at home because of the political situation. And, you know, the clans were after my parents. We've had, you know, we've had crosses burned and everything. So I was very sheltered, very protected. When I left home, I was put in a Christian home because I was 17 when I left home. So I was still, as I, you say of myself, I was innocent with Mississippi mud between my toes when I went to Playboy. Playboy really protected me. There's a lot of misconceptions about Playboy. We were very protected. They were more a secretary, you know, had the shirt waist top here, had the look, but they weren't protected like we. No one could touch us. No one could say anything bad about us. We had, to, we were not where people thought, well, you can, you had to go with men. We were not hookers. If they even thought we were, we were meeting men, we were fired. If we gained five pounds, we were fired. You know, we, there were very strict rules there. Um, so there's this misconcept of being a bunny. And when it was nothing shameful for me, we made very good money for that time, for that time of the year, of, of times. I mean, we got 17.5% automatically on your check when, you, when we were working. A lot of the ladies were the main, main breadwinners. Like I said, they supported us to get an education. I got my undergraduate degree through them from any school you wanted to go to, any school you wanted to go to. They allowed me to do modeling. 
um, acting. They encourage that. So, uh, but the persona of a Playboy bunny and the persona of being a yoga person and then my personality didn't go over very well <laughs> at all. So yeah, it was not, I, I was not treated very well and friendly uh, to, uh, by a lot of females. Males, you know, but you know, there was, um, um, yeah, yeah. Now, you had said earlier that one of your students from the Institute that interviewed you in 2020 when everything was going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the uproar that was going on last year. And what I hadn't said to you initially is that the reason why seeing you at the convention was a point of safety and a point of security was because you were literally probably one of five Black people that I met at that convention that year. And I may be exaggerating by saying five, but you were literally one amongst a few people who I met at the convention who were black. And I hadn't realized how big a deal that would have been until I got there in a sea of 1300 people where you were one of the people who stood out. I, I, I didn't realize that it was going to be such a point of standing out until I was there. And I think the first day of the convention, I was the first row. I was next to Lois, who ultimately became my teacher. And I was the first person to be called on stage. There was a lot of firsts at that first convention for me, but it was really this moment of looking at everyone else and realizing that, hey, like I literally don't see anyone else here easily who looks like me. So what I want to know for you is stepping into Iyengar Yoga, when you did, what was the environment like for you as a Black person? And do you feel as if that was a point of anything within your Iyengar Yoga career, whether a point of acceptance or whether a point of not being accepted? But how did that play into your life as an Iyengar Yoga practitioner and then teacher? Well, my, um, it wasn't uncomfortable for me because I had lived in a white environment for a very long time. When I was in, when I worked at Playboy, I chose to move into a white environment. I paid the money to, to live there. Uh, and so during the, during the 60s and 70s, I'm living in a white environment. Um, and so I was tolerated and ignored, which is fine with me. You know, I, one of the stories I, I was living, I had moved to Century City and I had this wonderful little house and my 30, it was my 33rd birthday and the ladies liked the party. <laughs> So it actually, the part, my party went on for, for three days. You know, we, we would go to work and they'd come back and, 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 and it wasn't a loud thing, but it was a very conservative a neighborhood. And I woke up one day and there was this note on my door. 
and it says, if you have another party, I'm going to call the police and, and everything. And so I took this note and I knocked on every door that was in earsight and said, excuse me, um, I had a party and I a note was left on my door and I didn't intend to, to, um, to cause any disruption. I said, if that happens again, please come and knock on my door and talk to me. Don't leave me a threatening note because I don't take well to threatening notes. From that time on, anytime I walked down the street, they're waving at me. <laughs> so I'm used to being uh, tolerated. And at the, um, at the Institute, there were people that were very friendly to me, but there were a lot that were not. I think that uh, because Gita, it was known that Gita liked me and Mr. Iyengar liked me because it was very obvious. This is not something I'm making up. It's very obvious. I think it was a protection. There are two teachers that I, that had always supported me. One was a three. Judith Lassiter was one when she was there, supported me. Manuso was one, and Manuso and I were friends. There was nothing else other than that. There's nothing I'm saying other than that. And Patricia Walden. And Patricia I studied very little with. And when I, the, when I found out, um, actually, when I became uh, an uh, uh, assessor, at that time you had to have a teacher, two senior teachers to recommend you. And I got this email, this, it wasn't an email, a letter saying that I've been rec rec recommended for to be an assessor and they had to send it to Mr. Iyengar and he would sign and say yes. And I'm going, who would do this, you know? And I found out it was Patricia and Manuso. But on a whole, I'm tolerated. When I, I, when I, for years, in fact, the, the convention I met you at is one of the first ones that I've seen that, you know, I also went, oh, mm, mm, because, <laughs> okay. Because I'm usually one, I'm the token. I was the one, but I've never been invited to be on any committee. And I wanted to be on the assessment committee. I, I almost begged to be, and I was promised nothing. Now it doesn't matter to me. But um, for me, uh, my husband used to say, why are you continuing to go there? Why are you, because I would come back really heartbroken. I wanted to, to be accepted and I was tolerated. But at the same time, I loved Iyengar yoga. At the same time, my teacher became Gita. You know, I, I didn't have a regular a teacher for, I haven't had a, a weekly teacher, which I would love to have one, for 15 years, maybe more. So I would go to India. But it, it um, knowing, knowing um, 
uh, how I was uh, accepted doing my life and saying, this is not gonna stop me, you know, it's their problem. And yes, it was hurtful. There's time, definitely, I can say it was hurtful. Definitely. But, you know, you can't let that, you know, that's our, that's our, we survive. No matter what, we're going to survive. And, um, you know, it's their problem. It's their problem. Yeah. I definitely appreciate hearing you say that. And I know within myself it's something that I've struggled with over the years, trying to figure out where I actually fit within the structure of Iyengar yoga. And I had probably a similar story to you, very different, because in, in, in my version of the story, my Gita was Lois. And Lois really took me under her wings pretty early. There, there's a story behind this. It was the first day of the convention and Abhijata had pulled me on stage because it was me in the front row and Lois was on the side of me. And I saw Abhijata look down at me. I looked up at her and I knew in that moment <laughs> she was gonna say something to me. And so she pulled me on stage and she pulled me on stage to show people my feet. Now, I have a dance background. I have a background, I studied dance in Jamaica and Cuba. And so my, my body has always been the body of a dancer essentially, which does have its tightness and it does come with its own burden. And my left foot is really, really compact and it's really, really muscular. Like the foot itself, it's a really strong foot. But we were doing Prasaritapado Tanasan and in that pose, the outside edges of my feet don't wrap down to the floor as nicely because of all of that muscularity. And she said, if you look at this young man, if you look at his right foot, his right foot is doing perfectly, but his left foot isn't doing perfectly at all. And that means that he can't complete anything in life. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just so starstruck to be on stage with Abhi Jat in the front of all these people. I was like, oh yes, thank you so much. <laughs> It, it, it occurred to me probably two weeks later what she had actually said, but even then I just let it wash off my back because Lois, after I came down off of stage, Lois automatically like took this very deep liking to me and this very deep protection to me. And she invited me to come and study with her and the rest is history. But I think as a result of that proximity, I had always known that I was in this bubble or in this place of safety but I was still aware that the environment that I was in may not have necessarily have been a place where I would have readily have been welcomed had I not had that connection to Lois. And I mean, as I look back on it and 2020 has been such a great year of, of reflection because I've traveled with Lois everywhere and I'm actively aware that some of the spaces that I've been allowed to enter would not have been possible to me if it weren't for her. And I'm not even sure if it has anything to do with ability or talent, but I definitely know that having that connection has really been a point of safety for me. And so to hear you talk about this as well and talk about some of the really real issues that underpin 
the, the politics of Iyengar yoga, which I think is very different from the actual practice, you know, and it's that practice that we love and it's that practice that we continue to come back to. But I think that there's this other side, which is some of the politics that underpin the system that sometimes can be a little bit hurtful and not necessarily the most helpful, especially for creating spaces of greater inclusion and diversity within the system that we love. I agree. So, mm -hmm. but we survive and we're here and it's, it's just always been a pleasure to be able to see you and to be able to see your work and what you've done, because I mean, just knowing that you exist and knowing that you've come through a time where you were close to Mr. Angar and close to Gita and you had the sort of relationship that you had, it really, I think, is one of the spaces that allows more of us, you know, like more Black people to feel as if there's a space within this tradition for them. And so I just want to say thank you for the work that you've done just in being you and just in teaching Iyengar Yoga and teaching it well, because I think that that is really the testament of who you are more than who you've been liked by or who supported you or who didn't support you. I think your, your teaching legacy is really the thing that I hold near and dear to my heart and that so many other people hold near and dear to their hearts. And the fact that you've always just been authentically, unapologetically you. And that makes me feel happy to do the same. So thank you so much. Yeah, you can't be anything else. You can't be. And it's not going to please everybody. But, um, you know, I've been, I went bent over backwards in pretzels and everything. I tried to dress, I tried to say, I tried to be, I tried to all of this. Um, and it comes down to, you have to be yourself, you know? Sometimes it doesn't bring you, I won't use the word you. Um, when I used to teach psychology, uh, when they had to write their papers, they couldn't use you, they, them, us, anything. It's always me. It's always from the I narrative. So, you know, I, I, I like to be accepted, but I am at the point that I'm, I'm not. Oh, well, you know, this is who I am. This is who I am. And one of the things, I, I made Gita several promises during our time of promises. And one of the promise is, is that whenever I teach, I am representing her to the best of my ability. I, I am representing her. And so just that guideline of, of me representing her, I'm going to put the best foot forward in my true nature. You know, whatever that nature she accepted me as, you know, she never, no matter what I told her, and I have gotten in front, in front of her, <clears throat> she asked me a question. I was so angry when I went there. I was so angry. And I don't curse. I mean, it came out of my mouth. And she just sat there and she listened. And she accepted me for that. And, um, mm, to honor her, to honor her. I mean, she was my guru. Mr. Eingar was the guru. You know, Mr. Eingar was the guru. And when I first told her, you were my guru, it was very uncomfortable for her. 
because she was dedicated to him. That was her guru. But when I, um, when I told her that, and for me, my word and my integrity is very important to me. And so um, that's what I still do. And, and my practice now is coming out of that, that grief that I really didn't, hadn't, it hadn't come to understanding of really why I was just not into it. And now I'm on that upward swing of um, my practice, of my teaching. Um, it's because I lost her. So, and I totally agree with you. The, the, es the true essence of Iyengar yoga is so beautiful. I mean, this is my yoga. Again, I don't put down anybody's yoga. The politics, I don't want to have a part of. And that's where I am now. The politics, I don't want the part. But the essence is, is totally beautiful. Yes, it is. And that integrity to your teacher and wanting to always step into the space of teaching as a representation of her, I think that that's also very important and it's something that I resonate with deeply as well because I love and honor and cherish the entry way into this lineage that I've been given by virtue of my teacher. And I know that whenever I step forward and whenever I teach, I want to teach with that same integrity and passion and vigor and just enthusiasm to share this gift that Iyengar Yoga really is. So once again, thank you for sharing that with me and thank you for being in this space, which is truly a vulnerable space, but an open-hearted space. And I deeply love and cherish everything about you and, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Okay. All right. So now, Jackie, before we before we part, please tell our listeners and viewers where they can find out more information about your work. If they want to plug into a class with you or if they want to just connect with you in any way, how can we do that? OK, so if you would like to communicate with me, my email address is Jackie, J-A-K-I at I-Y-N-V, Iyengar Yoga, Napa Valley, dot com. And my website, which I do teach Zoom classes and workshops on Zoom. And you can find my schedule on I-Y-N-V, dot com under Jackie's teaching schedule. Awesome. Well, I'll put all that information down below so that our listeners and viewers can have a way to dive into your practice and dive into your teachings. And I know at the end of this interview, there are many people who want to connect with you in a deeper way. So once again, thank you so much for sharing this space with us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for asking me. And it's so nice to see you, to see how my grandson is just, I just remember when you were this little, now look how big you <laughs> That is actually the truth. That is actually the truth. And I honor and I cherish, I honor and I cherish that journey. And I'm so grateful that you've been a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. 
and to our listeners and viewers out there if this is your hundredth time joining us here on the show i know we haven't been around for a hundred episodes yet but i'm going to speak it into existence if this is your hundredth time being here with us on the show or if this is time number one i just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming and sharing in this virtual space with us i am so grateful to have had this opportunity to be here with you all and i'm so grateful for you plugging into this work so if you want to continue to be a part of the michael bryan podcast please do yes go down below and like this amazing video but also share this interview with your other mindfulness space and yoga loving friends because more and more people need to hear about these amazing conversations that we're having with these amazing teachers around the world like my dear grandmama jackie Nett. so until next time i'm your host michael a bryan leaving you in peace and love and hope until we meet again have a good one bye-bye Yeah.